0: anyone else not cool in high school? Because that was for sure me. Now, those of you who weren't homeschooled might have some idea that all homeschoolers are uncool. Not true. There are definitely cool homeschoolers, but I was not one of them. And as I look back on my high school years, I can see some reasons why that was happening. But I can tell you this, that my years spent as the uncool, left out person, have been so influential in my view of community today. So in one sense, I'm grateful for them, though I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But I really see those years spent where I was left out or made fun of as an opportunity for me to cultivate a heart for community. And that is what today's podcast episode is about. We're talking about how to cultivate community, how to have a heart for hospitality and opening our door to the people in our world and in our church. Now, if this is a struggle for you, I understand completely. As I said, I was left out In high school and even in college, I really struggled with female relationships in particular. And now if you've met me and you've met some of our wonderful community of friends here, that might surprise you, but it's the reality. And I think part of the reason that Josh and I have cultivated community so intentionally now is because of our respective experiences in friendships and the importance that we see in being surrounded by godly people and reaching out to people who don't know Christ yet. This is a vital conversation. And it's because scripture is clear in both the Old Testament and the New that Christianity is not a faith for island people. It's not a faith meant to be lived out alone. It's not individualistic. It's not American in that sense. Americans can tend to be extremely individualistic and believe that it's a personal faith. And as a personal faith, it doesn't involve anybody else. I think that's why we see a lot of people departing from the church, but reality is faith in the living God has always been communal from when it was in the theocracy of Israel all the way to today, as the Gentiles are grafted into that promise, it is a communal faith. And when we understand that and embrace it, we begin to grasp the importance of community as Christians. So my own struggle with female relationships particularly began in high school and college because I really desperately wanted to fit in. I wanted to be liked and I think that made me more insecure or rather my insecurity made me act in ways that made it difficult to make friends because that's how it works. And partially because I was insecure. And also because I was being left out, I became very critical and judgmental as kind of a defense mechanism against the girls who were leaving me out. And so it became this perfect storm of me being so judgy and critical. I wasn't attracting friends, but I was doing that because I didn't have a ton of friends in the first place, or I didn't have friends who were gracious. I attracted critical people like me. So it becomes this really unhealthy, toxic cycle built on insecurity and built on trying to find your identity in what people think of you. So I lived plenty of years in that world. And I can't tell you enough how wonderful it is to be free from that. Because when you are free from that, when Jesus sets you free from insecurity-based relationships and seeking the approval of people, you have a solid community. So what keeps us from lasting relationships? Since we touched on insecurity, I wanna talk about the three things that keep us from lasting relationships. These are in Stop Calling Me Beautiful in chapter nine or page 150, if you guys want to refer to it later. But the first thing that keeps us from the relationships God wants for our souls is fear. Fear of what others think of us, fear of man. And I don't mean fear of guys. I just mean fear of humankind and their opinions of us. When we reverence people more than God, we'll be more terrified of rejection by people than we are embracing the acceptance of God. So when we let fear dictate our relationships, we can't have functional relationships. The second thing that keeps us from lasting community is insecurity, which I touched on. We aren't secure in our place in the world. If we aren't secure in that, if we aren't secure in our purpose or our identities, we will feel threatened by the people around us. We'll be in competition with them. I love that hashtag that says community over competition. Well, that's true, but it's not possible if your heart isn't changed. If you aren't resting securely in your purpose in Christ, you can manufacture it temporarily, but it's not going to be an inner transformation if you don't allow Christ to do that in your heart. The third thing that keeps us from lasting relationships is pride. We don't want to be accountable. We don't want people to know our deepest secrets and struggles, even if exposing them would bring freedom. So we would rather live in bondage than be vulnerable. And vulnerability is the basis of any healthy community. So these three things keep us from lasting relationships. We see it in scripture, but we also can see it right in my life. You know, I've lived this myself and I can tell you that the relationships I had in my early 20s a lot of them were unhealthy, or I was blessed with healthy people who saw past my emotional unhealth and my spiritual unhealth. They stayed with me and they strove with me, but it wasn't easy because I was so bound up in this fear and pride and insecurity. So I want to look at a passage, one that you're probably familiar with It's Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, very commonly read at weddings during the sand pouring or candle lighting ceremonies. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So we have assigned this verse to romantic relationships I'm not sure that's wise. While it does apply to marriage, I don't know that Solomon was actually referencing romantic relationships when he used this analogy. He was more likely just talking about two people in general, friends, maybe romantic partners, but mostly friends. And when we only read this in context of romance, we can forget that Healthy, godly community is supposed to be just as supportive as a healthy, godly marriage. And this is a whole other topic for another day, but I honestly believe that life would be a lot easier for singles if we change the narrative around passages like this. Because if you only hear about this in terms of marriage, It can be very isolating and lonely to be a single person who's supposed to find community to bide their time until they have this one person who can walk with them and pick them up when they fall down. But imagine if you're a single walking in healthy community with people who walk beside you and pick you up and carry your burdens. That's what the Christian church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place for the singles and the widows and the marrieds. You know, it's not supposed to be this... We're looking to marriage to provide a community that we never had. I think that's why we have a lot of struggles in marriages where wives and husbands go into it thinking that this one person is going to fulfill every relationship they should be having in their lives. No, you're supposed to be in community with a variety of people. So we can carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So a little bit of a turn on the head for Ecclesiastes four, but I do want to for sure be thinking about that because I, I really think it would empower us to a healthier community. The other verse I want to bring up is Proverbs 18, 1, which says he who isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against sound judgment. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of a bold statement, but isolating ourselves is the opposite of good decision making because it has an impact on our character. Another verse that is relevant to this conversation you're very familiar with, Proverbs 27:17. Iron sharpens iron and so one person sharpens another. This is why isolating ourselves is such a big deal. This is why being in community affects our character because healthy Christians Sharpen one another for the tasks God has called them to. So I live in Northern Michigan. This area has a lot of historical locations, including Fort Michikinaw, which is near the Mackinac Bridge. And at the fort, you can actually go and see a blacksmith working. It's the coolest thing. And when a blacksmith is working, you watch him heat the metal and then pound this hot metal with the pressure of a hammer against an anvil to mold it into the shape that it needs to be, usually so it can become a useful tool. So this is the imagery the author of Proverbs is giving us, that iron is sharpening iron, sharpening more so than shaping. But when a blacksmith is heating this metal to white hot and then pounding it with his metal hammer, that doesn't feel super great at the time, I imagine, if I was a piece of metal. (laughs) But it shapes it and it gives it purpose and it gives it sharpness and it makes it effective. That's what community does. Godly community shapes us and makes us effective. This is what godly friendships do. Being in relationships does open us up to a risk. It can open us up to the pain of a pounding. But a loving friend is not going to rebuke you unnecessarily. That sharpening is a vital part of our growth. And it's why we need Christian community so much. Now, since we're talking about Christian community, we have to take a moment to address church hurt because church hurt is a real thing and a lot of people are walking through it. Some people take their power to sharpen and instead they use it to cut. They use it to injure people. They use it to slice them with their words, to gossip about them, to influence them and manipulate them. This is not godly. This is not okay in God's eyes. It's sin, but it's also not new. So, we see in the New Testament admonitions to unity, admonitions to not quarrel or slander. So, clearly, this was something that people struggled with right from the beginning of the church. And that should be encouraging to us because it means that humanity's always struggled with this, but Christ has always been able to overcome it when we walk by the spirit and not according to the flesh. So I have a couple passages here from the early church leaders talking about this issue. 1 Peter 4 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. I love that. It's absolutely beautiful how when we're loving one another, we're using it to serve one another. Next is Hebrews 10, which says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is another call to meet together, to be in community so that you can stir one another up, not to dissension, not to slander, not to anger, not to legalism, but to love and good works. And lastly, Romans 12, 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is the heart of the gospel in these relationships, in the heart of imperfect people seeking unity. Love one another. It's so hard, you guys. It's so hard. Josh and I Hadn't really been in any leadership capacity in our church until in the last couple of years. We've been in a lot of different churches because we've moved frequently, changed denominations a couple times, but finally have been more involved in leadership. And it wasn't until that happened that we began to see how dramatic relationships can be in the church. And it can be kind of discouraging. I remember one particular week, I went into the coffee shop where my sister was working and I told her, I just want this situation to be over. It was just one of the most dramatic, wearying situations I'd ever had to deal with. And she turned to me and said, well, I guess God probably wants our sin to be over too. And I thought, oh my word, that's a heart check right there because Yes, God wants my sin to be over. Is my sin over? No, he deals with it every single day. And so my call is to bear the burden alongside my community of faith, to bear with these people, to strive with them, to show them the grace God's given me, to love them as God has loved me. John 15 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You know how we often think of that verse in terms of like laying down our physical life, like I would die for you. What if we reframed that and really thought, I'm laying down my time. I'm laying down my feelings. I'm laying down what I want to love you, my community. It would change everything. It would change everything. I think all of us have been at a women's conference where we were told, you are a beautiful daughter of the Most High King. And it's true, but it's not the whole truth. The beauty of being God's daughter has some backstory and it's left out in a lot of messages preached to women. So if you're tired of hearing the watered down Christian teaching and you're hungry for a deeper spiritual life, I have something for you. Coming so soon with a launch date of February 18th is my brand new book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful, Finding Soul Deep Strength in a Skin Deep World. Stop Calling Me Beautiful is a book about going deeper with God. I'm going to talk about pursuing the truth of who God is and who we are in relationship to Him, how to study Scripture, how legalism, shallow theology, and false teaching keep us from living boldly as a woman of the Word. I'm so excited to put this book in your hands. If you're ready to pre order, you can grab your copy on Amazon, or for more information, head to my website, FeliciaMasonheimer.com, and click the book tab. So, Christian community takes some work, and I'm going to give you a couple practical tips for this, but before I do, I want to just quickly touch on boundaries. What I'm teaching you about community in this episode doesn't mean we just let extremely toxic people run all over us. Love is not the opposite of healthy boundaries. In fact, healthy boundaries are a reflection of love with people who are unrepentant and are unsafe or abusive in some way. We need to have healthy boundaries with those people. And if you need a book recommendation for this, there is a great book. Um, I will put it in the show notes for you because at the moment I am, oh, I remember his name, Gary Thomas. Gary Thomas wrote The Sacred Search and Sacred Marriage, two excellent books. And he just came out with a book on toxic relationships and the biblical way to set boundaries with those people. So I highly recommend it. And that would be a good start for creating boundaries with people who are unrepentant and who aren't willing to walk with the Lord in restoration and reconciliation. So I wanted to touch on that before we move into the practicals of creating community. So I have four things That will help you to cultivate community. This is something that Josh and I have actively done for the last five years, but specifically since we moved back to Michigan um, the last three years, because now we're rooted here and we really wanted to build a community that lasts. So the first thing is stop knocking small talk. I know, super spiritual, but it's true. I hear a lot of people knocking small talk saying they hate it. It's exhausting. They can't do it. They're an introvert all this stuff about it. But guess what? If you want to create community, you have to, I'm sorry, grow up, learn how to hold a conversation and make an effort. Small talk is the basis of deep talk. It's the basis for a thriving conversation, but you have to go through that stage to get to the point where you can go deeper with somebody. So see it as productive and then take it deeper yourself. If you struggle with holding a conversation, there are some really great resources online and some books that I really enjoyed are the How to Be a Lady series, also a book on business etiquette. Etiquette And manners are just a form of selflessness. And it teaches you how to have a conversation in a way that makes the other person feel good, makes the other person feel valued. If you can't hold a conversation, you're really going to have a hard time cultivating relationships. This doesn't mean you have to have a bajillion friends. It doesn't mean you have to talk to 18 people at once, but even just one-on-one, be able to ask questions, be able to keep a conversation going. Regardless of personality, this is a skill you need to have and you can adapt it to your personality. You can invite the person over for coffee if you prefer one-on-one to large groups, but learn how to hold a conversation and stop knocking small talk because it's a foundation for building relationships. The second thing is open your door. Be willing to invite people in and don't wait for your house to be perfect. Our first House, if you will, was an apartment on a second floor. That was the first place I was opening my home and having people over when we were first married. And it wasn't huge, it was actually pretty small. And at the same time, it was so sweet. And we have so many memories and these little photos of gatherings in that place dinners in our tiny little living room, dining room that had carpet under the dining room table. It's a sweet memory because we opened our door even when it wasn't perfect. the next place was a duplex that was so long and narrow, I can't even believe that (laughs) we could really live in it. But that was another place that we had people over. Again, not ideal, not perfect, but opening the door was what mattered. And then we lived in a little house here in Michigan with a dining room that barely fit six people around the table. And yet we frequently had 15 and 20 people over because we opened our door. Now, it's going to look different for you based on your stage of life, based on the people in your life. You're going to start out small if this is new for you, but don't think you have to cook this elaborate meal. It's not about you. It's not about what people think of your cooking. It's not about the candles or what's on your walls. It's about making people feel comfortable and wanting to get to know them. And so for us, Sometimes it was burrito bowls, rice, beans, everybody bring a topping. Sometimes it was just pizza. Once a month we have, for the last two years, we've had our college students over for a pizza party and it's just pizza and chips and we all hang out. It doesn't have to be elaborate, but the point is you're opening your door, you're opening your heart, you're inviting people in and saying, I want to know you. Now, We have two rules, and this is my third point. Have some rules for how you go about this, boundaries that you need to have. Make sure you're communicating with your spouse if you're married. But for us, we have two rules. One is the 80-20 rule. It's not really so much a rule for us as just a basic observation. We do 80% of the inviting. 20% of the time we get invited back because people are busy and a lot of people don't prioritize community. And so if you spend all your time hoping to be, you know, reciprocated, hoping people invite you back, then you're not going to keep inviting. So we just understand going in. We're doing this because we want community and regardless of how they respond. If somebody responds, they invite us back. Awesome. We're so excited. But if they don't, we're not hurt either. We reached out. We had them over. We did our part. Now this goes along with our three strike rule. This is our second rule. The three strike rule is, We will pursue a couple or a family three times. If they don't respond, they don't seem interested or they show up, but they never, you know, seem to initiate hanging out with us, then we stop trying. They're clearly not interested. They have other priorities or maybe other friends and we let it go and we concentrate on other people. This has allowed us to really focus our time on people who want to be with us, who want to spend time with us, and it allows us to free those people to be with the people they want to spend time with. The fourth and final thing is to create community with your heart and attitude. Certain attitudes, certain behaviors make community very difficult. Going back to the beginning of this episode when I talked about my critical spirit and my judgment that was a defense mechanism... That was alienating to godly and healthy community. Healthy people saw that and they didn't want it. Even today, now that I am a healthier person emotionally, now when I meet someone who's similar to who I was then, I can see that and I can say, okay, this is a person who's still growing, probably not somebody that I'm going to get close with because I can tell they're not healthy. We need to recognize patterns in ourselves that are making community difficult. And see if it's truly the other people not wanting to hang out with us or if maybe it's something about us that is causing it. Something that's sinful in us that is making community hard. So a couple questions to ask yourself. Do you look for the best in people or do you only see the flaws? Do you bring up flaws in people or judgments or things you notice about them? Do you gossip? I've struggled with this. Do you bring up people who, you know, you have a judgment about? And is that what you talk about with people? That's unhealthy. Do you have a there you are attitude? I first learned this from Anne Ortland in her book, The Disciplines of a Beautiful Woman. And I love it. When you walk in the door, are you a here I am kind of person? Or are you a there you are kind of person? A there you are person is focusing on the others, not on themselves. The third question is, do you make people feel comfortable or do you make them uncomfortable by maybe going too deep, too fast, or asking too personal of questions, or maybe telling jokes that are inappropriate or being super sarcastic? I've talked about sarcasm on my Instagram before. It is divisive. It does not build sincere relationships. So you need to ask yourself, what kind of conversation are you creating? Are people uncomfortable around you? Are you seeking to make them comfortable? And one of the easiest ways to make people comfortable is to talk about them. It's the topic they know best. The last question to ask yourself is, do you seek ways to spend time with people? To really get to know them, to add value to them, to invite them into your home, just to sit around a table and share coffee. Invite them after dinner and just have dessert. There's so many great ways you can do this. And it doesn't have to be your home either. You can meet in a park. You could go do an activity together. I have asked mom friends to go grocery shopping with me. We got a chore done and we got to hang out. So there's a lot of creative ways you can cultivate community by initiating it and seeking to spend time with people. Ultimately, lasting godly community, it's about selflessness. It's about giving with no expectation of return. But then when someone does give you that return, when they do say, me too, I want a friend, you're right there ready to walk with them in it. There's this amazing quote by C.S. Lewis that you've probably heard and I just absolutely love. It says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. That's not what we want for our hearts. We want hearts that are vulnerable, that are risk-taking, that are willing to step out and invite people in, that are willing to love the way Christ has loved us. In community, I'm telling you, you have to try, you have to try again, but the reward is so worth it in the long run. If you want more resources on this, you can see the community highlight on my Instagram where it gives you some examples of how people showed up for us when I broke my leg in June of 2019. Some great ideas for how to bless people who are struggling and how to invite them into your home. And then the making friends highlight on Instagram as well would be super helpful to you. A couple of books you might consider, Friendish is one by Kelly Needham. Also, The Turquoise Table. I can't remember the gal's name who wrote that off the top of my head. Those two might get you started with some ideas for making friends and starting to cultivate this community process. Also, Sally Clarkson's Life-Giving Home is another great resource, and I will link these in the show notes. Thanks for joining me today, guys, and I will see you next week. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Verity. You can connect with fellow listeners by following me on Instagram at Felicia Masonheimer or on our Facebook page by the same name. Also visit FeliciaMasonheimer.com for links to each episode and the show notes.